Welcome to the world of culture pop with Steve Mason and Sue Kalinsky. Culture, comedy, movies, TV, tech, authors, trends, pop, pop. This is the Culture Pop Podcast. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Culture Pop Podcast. I'm Steve Mason along with Sue Kalinsky. Sue, you looking good? How you doing? I'm doing very well, Steve, and yourself. Uh, everything is great. I was just talking about everybody's always looking for a new show to watch. So mm-hmm. uh, you mentioned to me Hacks, which is great. It's on HBO. It stars Gene Smart. And I didn't know the other actress. Hannah Einbeiner. She's uh, Lorraine Newman's daughter. Hey, Lorraine was on the show. Maybe she can put a word in for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is really funny. It's edgy. It's sort of Gene Smart playing this Joan Rivers kind of character who all of a sudden needs a writer in this match that uh, they're going head to head. It's really, really good. It's on HBO. And then the other one is Girls 5 Ever. They may take my man card for watching this, Girls 5 Ever, but <laughs> it is a really, really funny show. It's Tina Fey. It's got great rhythm, great pacing, reminds me a lot of 30 Rock. It's about like a, a girls band from the late 90s that tries to reunite today and how they try to put it all back together. It's really good. It's got a very, it's got a very glow kind of vibe to it. If you watch the show glow, mm-hmm. that's what it, that's what it feels like to me. Oh, cool. So, so Sue, I've been out, of the, I've been out golfing. Oh yeah. How's it going? Yeah. So I had my first lesson uh, on Thursday, and it was good. It was good. Uh, Derek Allen uh, is the teacher's name. He's the uh, star pro at Rancho Park, uh, and he's taken me under his wing. He's my swing coach, uh, and I actually got some work done. He uh, he taught me to not hit the ball, but to carry the ball a little bit. Uh, he taught me, uh, you know, what to keep my left arm straight, to try to follow through, and the ball's going to go wherever you wind up looking at the end of it. So it worked out really good. Um, and then I went out and hit a bucket of balls yesterday. See, I get to say things like that now because I'm a golfer. <laughs> I went, I went and hit a couple of ball, a bucket of balls, and I was striping that seven iron like you would not believe. Seriously, you yes. were getting flight. I was getting flight on my seven iron. Well, that's very impressive. So now I've got a little bit of a slice that I got to work on. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I'm 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 getting it now. My short game needs a lot of work. I was in around the uh, green, you know, the practice green, and I was trying mm-hmm. to chip, and I suck. I suck yeah. at chipping really bad. And uh, Derek says that's how I'll win or lose is my short game. Right, right, right. So, um, are, are you gonna like? Is this something? Do you think that you're gonna take up in your life right now? I know I'm gonna. You know, the big golf showdown is on September the 10th. So I know I'm going to at least take it up between now and then. If it sticks, it sticks, right? Mm-hmm. You know what I'm. You know what I'm really good at. Excellent putter. I was just going to say. Excellent, excellent putter. Really? Yeah. Drained a couple of 18 footers uh, on the uh, practice green. I mean, really, really good natural putter. So I've got that going for me. Maybe I two putt some of these greens and I wind up uh, beating Ireland that way. But uh, I- I'm excited. How's your game? It's getting better. Is you know, it? I, I had a birdie uh, the last time I went out, which was amazing. On a par? It was a par three. So I um, launched my seven iron, which, launched is, one of, it. Nice. which is one of my favorite uh, clubs. Yep. And uh, I was like, you know, like a foot from the club. Oh. And, um, and it, you know, what was so cool about it is that uh, there were a group of guys that were on the next tee so they saw my shot. Yep. And when I got up there, one of the guys said to me, 
nice shot. Nice. <laughs> I don't hear that like a lot, yeah. but it was really a beautiful, beautiful shot. So you went out and played on the range with Morales a couple of times. Yes. Right? Well, hit balls, yeah. Did he try to give you advice? Oh, he did. He gave me a lot of advice, actually. Can I tell you what he's told me this week? Yeah. He said you did not listen to any of his advice. Is that possible? You know, it's that's really false. It's, <laughs> you know, this is the thing. This is the thing with golf. Our friend Chris Morales, by the way, who is kind of the ceremonial producer of the show now uh, and works at uh, 710 with me. It's such a it's such a typical Morales thing to say. <laughs> the thing is, is that I've been playing golf for a very long time and I've been playing it poorly and incorrectly, actually. Okay. Yeah. So when somebody is telling you to do something completely different from what you've been doing for yeah. a long time, it takes a while for that to take. So I'm, you know, I'm moving my body in a way that doesn't feel natural natural for me because I've been doing it the other way for so long. Right, right. Um, but but a lot of the things that he told me, you know, I I I'm using now. Are you? So yeah. Yeah, yeah, totally. Good, yeah. good. So, uh, yeah, so I'm all excited about that. And uh, just the idea of, hey, uh, Juan, I'm going to hit a bucket of balls after the show today. Sounds cool. <laughs> Sounds cool. Sounds like my, my dad was a hell of a golfer. My dad was great at everything. Huh. My dad uh, could pick up a sport and just own it in no time at all. Like golf, he was really good. There were all kinds of golf trophies when I was a kid growing up. He had won a bunch of uh, club uh, tournaments. Uh, he also was great at racquetball. Do you remember racquetball? Sure. I used to play. Did you? Yeah. yeah. We used to play. We There was a summer we played like crazy. So my dad picks up racquetball and we're playing three wall, outdoor three wall racquetball. And my dad gets so friggin' good. He starts just crushing me and my brother, Brian. Um, and we, we were decent. We were decent. So the National Three-Wall Championship Tournament was at the Lucas County Recreation Center in Maumee, Ohio. So my dad enters. So this is the national tournament, right? Finishes fourth. Finishes oh. fourth. He played racquetball for two years. He finishes fourth in this big national tournament. He was just, he had those gifts and did not give me any of them. Well, I mean, are you surprised that though, when you think about how you've excelled in golf in such a short period, you had one lesson and you're getting flight on the ball. I mean, that's amazing. Yeah. Good. I, I'm glad. Yeah. No, maybe I did get a little bit. Maybe I did get a little, my dad, by the way, crushed us in ping pong, crushed us in chess. He was one of those dads that, you know, like I am going to beat you. Um, I'm not going to let you win things. I am going to beat you. And so what happened was my dad beat us at everything, beat us at chess, beat us at one-on-one, -on -one, beat us at horse, beat us at pig, beat us at every single, all of a sudden me and my brother got really, really good. And we started just kicking the snot out of him. <laughs> and, and we had, Would he get upset? Oh, he would get very upset, but there was no mercy. You know, it was like Cobra Kai, strike first, strike hard, no mercy. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, yes, that's where I get my competitiveness for sure. So, uh, Sue, really interesting guest today. I've been looking forward to this. Um, he is the son of the late, great comic Robin Williams, and he's become a global mental health advocate. He's founded a new company called PIM, created to help others develop good daily mental health habits. Zach Williams is here. Zach, thanks so much for doing this. Steve, thanks for having me. It's, it's a real pleasure to be on. So, I've been really excited for this conversation because, you know, like you, 
I feel like one of my missions in life, I work for ESPN and I do this show and all that stuff. One of my missions in life is to, is to help raise awareness for mental health issues. And that's very much, uh, your world. Um, I was diagnosed bipolar one. Um, I, I do all the stuff I'm supposed to do. I see my psychiatrist once a week. I take meds, all that stuff. I'm very proactive about mental health and I try to be very open about it because we're, you know, we're at a point, I think, in the world where it's a real issue, and I think some people are afraid to talk about it, right? Yeah, I, you know, um, it's a challenging thing to bring up, I, I think, among certain generations, too. I would say, you know, baby boomers, uh, Gen X, um, you know, they weren't raised, many, many, I would say, I can't speak for everyone, but yeah. many weren't raised talking about mental health. There was that stigma that was so pervasive. And as a result, you know, when you start opening up the conversation and the dialogue, there's some apprehension, I think, you know, so me being a, I guess that <laughs> I just learned I'm a geriatric millennial. <laughs> so, so you're right on the cusp of being a boomer yeah, is that what that means it, uh, it means i'm on the on the cusp of being gen x gen x right? got it yeah, got yeah. it so I, I was born in 83 um and so so as a geriatric millennial it's kind of a toss-up right it's a mix of how people talk about stigma and um and then you know you've got kind of the younger generations gen z who are just all about being vulnerable, taking an advocacy-oriented approach, being activists for the stuff they they're caring about, and there's less of that stigma there. So I think a large part of it is kind of figure out what are the conversations that we can have intergenerationally that can help kind of foster an, a dialogue with emp empathy, with connection, with understanding, and help us find some grounds with which we can get a deeper understanding of one another. Sure. Do you think when 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 a high profile, um, say celebrity, okay, comes out and and expresses that they've had issues um, and these demons, um, do you think that the stigma is lessened because of that? Because you know, most of the time, people people will look at a celebrity and think, oh, you know, everything's great and their world is wonderful, and you know, do, so do you think it has it it lessens when people like that come out? I think for the most part, yes. It depends on the celebrity and it depends on what they're saying, right? Mm. You know, you, 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 it gets challenging if there's scandal and then you're saying, oh, there's, it was my mental health that caused, oh. you know, this. <laughs> you know, I think, I think in a lot of circumstances, it, it leads to a whole lot of good. Um, and in cases where you have kind of, substance use or there's opening up about bipolar or or other conditions then yeah you know i think you know providing the opportunity is to educate and really say hey you know this is who i am this is what i stand for i think in most cases it's awesome you know what was it like growing up with uh the great robin williams as your dad um I mean, it was, it was great. He, he, the, the time I spent with him, you know, father and son were, those times were, were often spent pursuing things that we were both really passionate about. He's, he's a collector. He was a collector. Uh, so, you know, he's very passionate about 
all sorts of rare objects, art, books, um, toys. He collected toys, which was awesome. Mm. So, you know, we, we, it, it, it was pretty cool because we got to engage as friends. You know, we were very, very close. We were best friends. Mm. And he was my parent. So, you know, I didn't see him in on mode when he was up, up performing, you know, up on stage performing all the time. I did see him perform often, but, but, you know, the time that we spent at home was him more in kind of the introspective kind of more in, more in a charging state. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, you, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Zach. No, no, please. I was going to say that, you know, I did stand up for uh, like 30 something years and uh, I didn't know your dad well, but the first time that I met him had such a a significant effect on my life that I just want to share with you. I was performing at the other cafe, which I'm sure you know, in San Francisco for Mm -hmm. Steve. It's a really small club that was on the corner and it was all um, glass. So, you know, like it was just window. So anybody walking by while you were on stage, you can see and people would like look inside. So I'm on stage and um, I look in the corner of my eye and I see your dad walking into the club and, uh, and I'm just wrapping up and I finish and I get a standing ovation. I think mm. it was like the first standing ovation I had ever gotten and how perfect to get it in front of your father. And I walk off and he comes over to me and he says, no, 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 go back up, go back up. They love you. And, you know, I went back up and then, you know, after we, we chatted afterwards and you know, I'd been a fan of his for so long. And for this to happen to me as a young comedian is something that I'll just always, you know, cherish in my life. So I just wanted to share that with you. Oh, thanks for sharing that. The, the other cafe I, was, a, was a, a bit before my time, uh, mm-hmm. but I hear, I hear these stories, right, of the, the, the comedy scene, the stand-up scene in San Francisco um, in, the, in the 70s and 80s and... And, uh, and it's awesome to hear. Thank you for sharing. So uh, I'm curious, you talked about your relationship with your dad um, and the fact that, uh, that he was your best friend and, and your parent. Did you know there was something wrong? Did you feel, did you feel mood swings? Did you feel, uh, talk about that, kind of growing up with that aspect of your dad? Well, I mean, there, there were stages um, of, of different struggles. You know, I experienced a parent who was dealing with drinking, you know, and, and that creates all sorts of dysregulation. And full disclosure, uh, I'm sober. Um, I... I've dealt with issues relating to addiction, um, specifically to manage my mental health. And so we shared, we shared that. Um, but, you know, coinciding with that was someone who experienced bouts of depression and went through great lengths to manage that and, uh, and was inherently anxious at times. I, you know, I think it comes with the territory of getting out there, performing, potentially being validated or not validated by an audience and 
that can be brutal over long periods of time, you know, especially, especially if you're, if you're establishing a lot of your self-worth and self-esteem to how, how the public perceives you. And, you know, on a deeper level too, I, 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 I saw with my dad as a parent, someone who got into comedy as a survival mechanism, you know, uh, someone who, he was someone who found entertaining to be cathartic hmm. and a great way to manage his own well-being. So, um, yeah, I mean, we, the struggle was real. <laughs> you, <laughs> saw it, you saw it, you saw it, you know, but, but I think from my perspective, the, 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 the really challenging time was seeing him go through the, the Louis body dementia hmm. uh, stages because Wait, that describe, was, describe that. I don't, I don't know that. Um, when he, when he discovered why he was feeling certain ways yeah. um, and he never received the Louis by dementia diagnosis specifically during his life, but, but he received other diagnoses relating to, you know, his, his, his ne neurological state. And mm -hmm. um, it, it was frustrating seeing someone who relied so much upon being quick and sharp and brilliant. And it was all still there, but there was, there was challenges in, in terms of articulating what he was going through. And that frustration was heartbreaking because he so relied upon not only being an entertainer, but, but being the quickest person, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. anybody knew. Uh, and when you're going through all of these, these issues and you're, you're trying to sort out what's wrong with you and things like that, there was just an enormous amount of anguish associated with that. Mm. And, uh, that was frustrating, um, to see him go through. So you were saying that he wasn't diagnosed with that. Um, you know, you didn't know what, you didn't know about that until after the fact. So what did you think, or what did he think was going on with him? that he was feeling the way he was feeling? Well, he, he wasn't, he wasn't quite sure. Mm -hmm. um, and ultimately he received another diagnosis that was a neurodegenerative diagnosis. And, um, and he, <laughs> it was not, he didn't feel great about it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. But, you know, the, the other thing too, and, and this is a whole other conversation, but, there's all these treatments that are emerging for the stuff and they put your system through so much, you know, um, Steve, you mentioned your bipolar one and, you know, there's all sorts of treatments associated with managing that. And if you're not in the right regimen, yeah, it's just, it throws your system through a loop. And, you know, when you're talking about other, other types of regimens to manage someone's, 
beyond mental health, you know, neurological state, it's just, you know, it takes time to find what's, what works. And even if you don't find, find what works, you go through that process and it's, it just puts your system through it. I Steve, I don't know if you've gone through. Yeah, issues. I've definitely gone through. In fact, it's, it's weird that here we sit because uh, when Sue and I were doing morning radio in New York City, um, I was at the peak of my sort of battle with with my demons. And Sue, you you were there for all of it, my diagnosis and then trying to find the right meds and all that kind of stuff. Right. And I didn't know that you were going through this. But I also do remember that you stopped taking some of your meds while we were working together. Totally as possible. Well. Totally and possible. So that's where the moments came where it was like, who are you? It was like you were a different person. Well, you know what it is, Zach? Here's, you know, I always think of it this way. Um, it, this is sort of the the way mental illness illness is treated. It's almost like a blunt is, instrument as opposed to a scalpel. Yeah. So, you know, we tried a bunch of different medications and switched them out and try this one and try that one until finally it was almost like finding the combination of a lock. It's like if you have this one with this one and that one, then all of a sudden you start feeling in the right range, in the normal range of emotion. But it took a long time to uh, to get there. It took three or four years to get to the point where I felt like, yeah, okay. I feel like I'm living my best life now. Yeah. And Steve, I, you know, I'll, I'll say in talking with friends, I had, I, for instance, I had lunch with a friend the other day who said he, he tried a medication. He's bipolar. Mm-hmm. And it gave him uh, second degree burns. He had an inflammatory. Wow. And um, he ultimately found the right path for him, but it requires a lot of persistence. Yep. Yep. And patience. And, you know, I, my heart goes out to you and, and people who have to go through that experience over years, years to find what's, what suits them properly. And, you know, it's, it's hard because especially if there's a stigma there and you kind of, you have to say, hey, is this, I'm not sure I want to experience the stigma. Right. You know? Right. Or I'm feeling isolated. I can't talk to other people about this because if I do, I will be judged by X, Y, and Z. Right. Yep. And, and that's a common experience. Sure. Sure. You know, for me, for me, I'll just, you know, my experience, my path is a little bit different. I experienced anxiety, depression throughout most of my life. Uh, I identify, um, as, as an alcoholic, Mm -hmm. um, because I used alcohol to manage my, my being. For, for years, and only really could come to terms with it after dealing with the trauma associated with my dad dying by suicide. And I didn't, I didn't want to, I didn't want to come to terms with it. Mm-hmm. You know, because of the stigma was there, and and the path for me ultimately, I found, I found what worked for me. But if I wasn't able to say, hey, I'm going through it, I'm, I'm freaking going through it. Yep. And I need to find the right solutions for me. And it's not, it might not happen overnight. Um, I wouldn't be able to be having this conversation with you. Sure. Sure. I I wouldn't be present as a parent. 
I wouldn't be present as a partner. Um, and, you know, part of that thing is just saying, hey, we, we need to really say, hey, what, what is it? What are the impediments? What are the barriers that are preventing us from having these conversations? And, and I think celebrities sharing what they're doing is a part of it, sharing what they're going through. Um, now you have the whole realm of influencers. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> That's a part of it too. Um, but the thing for me is like, this, and we, we, this, is, this is a long conversation. It can go, we can go as deep, deep down the rabbit hole as you'd like, but the more we have a focus around the evidence-backed approach to get people in kind of their, their lane, Yep. Then I think the more of a, of a balanced community, you know, the more balanced communities, the more balanced of a culture we can have. You know. Yeah, so. yeah. Like you know, after your your dad, the news came out about your dad. Steve had actually called me up and asked me if I had known your father, and I said I really didn't know him very well at all. I'd met him on a couple of occasions, and. Um, and then I was shared with Steve that I, I've never had depression, like severe depression, but I had was going through a very, very difficult time in my life where I was just, I guess I would, you would say hyper anxiety and, um, but like curled up in a ball kind of hyper anxiety. And, um, and Steve was, um, shared with me, um, about the mental toolbox which I had never heard of. And he said, you know, I have, these are, these are the tools that I have in my toolbox. And, and this is something that I want to encourage you to do. Um, so w- what's in your toolbox? Great question. <laughs> Thank you for asking it. You know, I find a couple things are extremely helpful for me. Um, I, I mean, first off, eating well and taking the appropriate uh, vitamins and minerals, the supplementation is is extremely helpful for me on a foundational basis. I actually started a whole company around it. Um, but, you know, from my end, there's a couple of things I realized. Like I have, I have this gene. It's called MTHFR. Beyond all sorts of other genes I have that, mm-hmm. you know, really, uh, <laughs> potentially <laughs> impacting my well-being and mental health. Um, I realized that if I take a certain type of methylated uh, vitamin, it actually helps me better synthesize serotonin. Hmm. That little change improved my mood and my day-to-day experience, I would say, by like 30%. Wow. Right? Yeah. But, but that's because I needed... I needed to have the serotonin synthesis. It's just your body, it, it's, it involves how you metabolize B vitamins. You take methylated folate, methylated B vitamins, and it enables you to actually use B vitamins in the way that you need to. So that, that, that was like a little thing that was like, once I, once I got into, into that regimen, it was super helpful. Then, you know, I found all these other things in terms of lifestyle, mm-hmm. um, gratitude exercises, focus, focus, focusing around making lists around what I'm appreciative of, what I can be thankful for. Transformational for me because mm-hmm. I'm, an, I'm an impatient person. My mind races. I, I think it's a family thing. Yeah. yeah, <laughs> Right. And, and meditation I love to do, but I can't do it for more than a couple minutes. 
and you know, I think, I think there's this whole groundswell around, Hey, you know, yeah, do this, do this meditation, do 30 to 45 minutes a day. I can't do that. Right. I, I just hope maybe I can get to it at, at some day, at some point in my life, but you know, I had to find other solutions that work for me. Like I can't do a, I've been hearing recently about these silent retreats. I can't do a week long silent retreat. <laughs> it's, it's so good. I, I haven't been a week, but I've gone like four days over new year's and um, it was really kind of awesome because uh, you, you meditated really for three solid days till you got to new year's Eve. And then at midnight you were allowed to speak. So it was, it was those days leading up and all of a sudden at midnight you were allowed to, but you went through that sort of new year's transition while, while everybody was signing. It's, it's really cool. It's hard to do, but it's really cool. I get why, I get why it hasn't, hasn't necessarily been able to, uh, been in your wheelhouse. Well, you know, I want to work towards that, <laughs> but, but in the meantime, I need to, you know, the solutions that I find are, are certain things that help ground me when I need it. Cause I'm prone to anxiety and I'm mm-hmm. prone to, you know, getting wound up, breathing exercises, um, extremely helpful for me. The sim- the simple act of going out and just walking for especially for extended period of time, extremely helpful for me. Um, and then, yeah, therapy, excellent, but in spurts, uh, mm-hmm. you know, for me, it's not, I don't have this long-term therapeutic practice. I, and the thing that, that that's challenging as well is I like therapy. I deeply appreciate it. I, w- I wish more people had access. Yeah. Because yeah. mm-hmm. it's expensive. It is. It is. Yeah. 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 You know, it's crazy. Um, just, well, recently, um, someone had turned me on to a therapist and I, I wasn't working at the time. And, you know, was, I guess his normal fee was like, I don't know, $200 a session. And my friend said, just talk to him. He's like the greatest guy in the world. Talk to him and let him know what's going on with you. And I'm sure he'll just do whatever you want. And he did. And he charged me like 50 bucks a week, which is insane. Amazing. But he was telling me that when um, his colleagues when they found out what he was doing, they were really pissed off at him because it put pressure on them to do the same. Mm. And he looked at me and he said, you know what? I live very simple means. I don't need a lot. And if I can just charge you $50, he says, I just, I, I like you. He says, you know, just from talking with me, he said, I get such a great feeling from you and I want to help you. And if I can do that for you, then, you know, why not? And I said, you're like, you're an angel. I mean, very rarely will you come across um, a, a therapist who will, who will do something like that. Yeah. You know, I, I have, I've actually spoken with therapists about this specific issue in the advocacy space, not yeah. necessarily people treating me. Um, although I've had that conversation too. Uh, and one of the challenges is that there's, there's, people who received years of education, right? And there might be, you know, encumbrances associated with that debt for school. And, you know, people spent, you know, a good chunk of their life in school and then they go out into the world and, you know, they want, they want to find um, a means of living. (laughs) And, Mm -hmm. and I get that. And, you know, it's not, I, I think that we've got a structural issue 
it's not it's not it's not it's not the nature of being of therapists. I think therapists are wonderful. I think you know there needs to be more opportunities for uh, insurers to provide yes. support. Yeah, you know this is one of the things I advocate for. Um, is if you're if you're going in network yep. for for insurers, it's restrictive. And, you know, I will say there are, there are some insurers who are, who are going through great lengths to try to expand and find better opportunities to reimburse, especially for out of network and things like that. But if you've ever tried to reimburse, get yeah, reimbursed oh, it's terrible. out of network, yep. it's, it's nerve wracking. Yeah. No, they're actually creating. <laughs> I know, you've got you to take medication for that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they're actually creating a barrier to people actually being able to talk to somebody about what's going on. It really is, you know, it's funny, you, uh, Sue and you and me have all done uh, something in common, all slightly different. We've all volunteered at prisons. Uh, Sue has run with, uh, where did you run with prisoners, Sue? San Quentin. San Quentin. Um, I used to teach yoga in, uh, in prison. You, uh, did a, uh, a financial, uh, how, how did you describe it? Financial? Financial literacy. Financial literacy. Yeah. Um, and you did that. In, I think one of the things that, that you can do immediately to help your mental health is to volunteer or to engage in service because it takes you out of yourself. It, it puts you in a, in a position where you're helping other people. Uh, and it does make you, depending on who you're working with, more grateful for what you do have. Yes, I fully agree. I would add a little asterisk in terms of my personal experience. Okay. Um, so teaching financial literacy at San Quentin um, was one of the first things, it was the first thing I did in terms of service after my, my dad passed away. And it was extremely helpful, made you know, all sorts of great friends. And it was uh, really insightful. And the process of learning and developing a curricula was, was great. Um, Worked with the one of the co-founders of the class, a man named Curtis Carroll, who goes by Wall Street, <laughs> and really understanding his his brilliance and how he goes about thinking about the markets was was extremely illum- illuminating for me. Um, but I I sh- I started doing that without necessarily taking care of my foundation first. Mm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, during that time, I was still self-medicating, not in, in the, <laughs> while teaching. or, or Right, anything. right, right. It's just I, w- I wasn't taking care of myself in the way that I needed to, and I was burning out. I literally burnt out. Hmm. Um, and, uh, and the major takeaway from a lot of that was, hey, I need to show up for my first before I can show up for others. Yeah, yeah, right. You know, and if I can do that, then service is this enormous opportunity for, for happiness. Yes. Um, but no one told me, it's like, hey, you're not going to do this and find yourself getting what you need out of it if you're burnt out. <laughs> yeah, right, mm-hmm. right. Um, tell me about your experience in, in prison. So you taught yoga. Where, where were you? I was at, uh, I don't want to say it's Lompoc. Lompoc. Uh, Lompoc. 
Uh, and, uh, yeah, it was, it was fascinating. I'd been teaching yoga. I think I'd been doing like 11 classes a week. I was teaching. This was when I dropped out of the world and I was not going to be a broadcaster anymore. I was going to be a yoga teacher, which is, um, believably, uh, financially unstable. Uh, <laughs> but I, I did go in and, you know, it's, it's funny. The, the guys who were receptive were really receptive. Like there were some people you couldn't win over, like yoga, what is this? You know, why am I doing? Uh, but the guys that really wanted to learn it really became very, very good at it. Sue, what, what your experience at San Quentin? Well, you know, San Quentin's kind of an outlier prison. I don't know if you discovered that too, Zach, but very much they, so. offer, they offer so many um, programs and it kind of is... It's kind of the choice prison to go to if you have to go to prison. And they're very particular on who gets to go there because they want to make sure that you're going to take advantage of all that they have to offer. So they have a running club there. And I actually belong to a, a couple of running clubs. And one of the clubs I belong to um, is uh, Skid, they're Skid Row Runners. So they had been there the year before. I joined the club. And uh, this was the first time that they ever allowed an outside running group to come and join their running group. Hmm. And it was just unbelievable. You know, friends of mine were like, were you scared? And I said, look, we were in, with general population. We weren't with like high, high profile, like, you know, murderers. But all the people that we ran with were just supportive and fun. And I actually, one of the guys got out recently and, and I'm like a Facebook friend of his now. Wow. And, um, and they... They appreciated it so much. We we ended up having you know spending the day with them. We had lunch with them, and um and it was truly r remarkable experience. Yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing. Yeah. Tell, tell us about the company that you've created, uh, Pim. Oh yeah. So so I created Pim because while I was going through this discovery process of understanding how I can take care of myself and heal from the trauma, I found a couple of things that were really helpful. This is subsequent to my dad dying by suicide. One was service. Mm -hmm. In order to do service in the way that I needed to do, you know, in the way in which I was doing it with a full cup, <laughs> yeah, was creating this this you know solid foundation for myself. And there's a couple of things I needed to do to, to do that. One was I needed to stop self medicating using alcohol, um, and I so I stopped drinking. Mm -hmm. And as part of that was this enormous wave of anxiety and stress hmm. um, because I had a, been suppressing a lot of what I was feeling over a long period of time and didn't have this great tool set to take care of myself. And B, um, I, I, uh, I found that it was really challenging to even think about or acknowledge my anxiety. And mm -hmm. so, um, so my, my now wife, um, Olivia June Williams, um, turned me on to uh, amino acid formulations and adaptogens as a way of managing my stress and anxiety. Um, and I had never heard of them. I mean, I knew what amino acids were, mm -hmm. but I knew they were kind of the building blocks for protein and adaptogens. I had no clue. So, so I started trying these 
natural products. And I was like, why is this having such a profound effect on me? Because I've never heard of this before. And it turns out that you have amino acid formulations and um, adaptogens and the like as a means of managing your the chemicals in your brain mm-hmm. and also nurturing neurotransmitters. And so through that discovery process, I started taking these compounds and it was like night and day. Wow. Night and day for me. And I was like, why don't I know about this? We need to, we need to do something about this. We need to get people trying these products because they're safe. And for most, uh, for many people, they're effective. Um, you know, there's, a, there's data around it. There, it's an evidence-backed approach. Um, and I wanted to find a solution that supported me prior to, you know, going on SSRIs or taking Xanax and Valium, which I didn't want to take mm-hmm. because of kind of my orientation around um, addiction. And, and Right, and sobriety, I'm sure, too. Yeah, so, so I realized, hey, there's an opportunity to do what I was doing in the not-for-profit space focused around mental health advocacy and actually apply it to the private sector, create an advocacy-focused brand that makes some difference in the world and uh, hopefully stands for mental health support like Starbucks stands for coffee or Red Bull stands for energy. And so uh, that's why I started PIM. Uh, we launched 2020 uh, it's a, of last year. Um, and people write us every day saying this product is a lifesaver. I didn't know something like this could exist. Um, and What's the product called? It's called PIM. Prepare your mind. Our website is youcanpim.com. Our first product is something we just call a mood chew. Mm-hmm. Original mood chew. And uh, it's meant to take the edge off. It's for, you know, light to moderate stress or anxiety. And uh, it's it's having an effect for folks, and I'm really appreciative of that. It's, by the way, it's no, it's no replacement. I really want to emphasize this. It's not meant to replace uh, prescription pharmaceuticals and the like for people yes. who are in need. And mm-hmm. I, I really want to emphasize that. Really what it is is for, you know, if you go about your day and you're feeling anxious, you can try the product and it's, it's safe and, you know, it'll help, it'll help bring, dial things down a little bit. So is it something that could be taken in conjunction with anti-anxiety medication? Um, I always say consult a physician. Yeah. Right. yeah. Okay. Doing so. Um, so the, your doctor will, will share whether, whether or not it's the right, right. Thing <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. 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 I, I could say something in which, you know, would, I'm doing. I'm doing the responsible thing here. Yes. Yes. Oh no! Absolutely. Totally get it. Totally get it. it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um. But but our our goal is to find opportunities in kind of the eighty percent realm of prevention before you go down the path of panic and you know find yourself needing stronger or you know stronger interventions. This might be a solution. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Listen, man, it, you know, your dad obviously created, has, has an unbelievable legacy in the world and uh, congratulations because you're, you're creating your own, your own legacy in an area where people really need help and really need guidance. It's, uh, you know, congratulations. Okay. Thank you so much. I mean, the main thing for me too is, yes, we have our product. Yes, we raise money for mental 
health initiatives with a portion of proceeds, specifically Bring Change to Mind, which focuses around building uh, mental health support communities in high schools throughout the U.S. But I just really encourage people to educate themselves around the opportunities and options out there because every person has a unique set of opportunities to take care of themselves in kind of an optimal way, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, listen, uh, Zach, thank you very, very much for doing this. It's really been a great conversation. Love talking with you. And uh, hopefully we do this again down the line. I would love that. Thank you so much for having me. It was such a pleasure to be on. Well, that was cool. What a, what a nice guy, huh? Yeah, real sweetheart. Yeah. And not just, you know, what you were saying, too. I mean, just what a great thing that he has found to do, you know? Uh, and I know a lot of it stemmed from what he went through with his dad, but what what a what a beautiful, you know. Um, a way to honor his dad. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. yeah. It's beautiful yeah. that way. You know, you have often said that, when you worked with me in New York at WNEW, you thought I was a real asshole. Yeah, I did. And, <laughs> but, but, but I didn't know, I didn't really know um, because you weren't very open in talking to me about it. True. I was not. So I didn't really know. I couldn't separate. Was there something really, really wrong? Or yeah. were you just being an asshole? <laughs> And it was, it was, it, it was, it was painful. I mean, it was, it was painful that you were going through what you were going through, Yeah. but it was also painful, you know, just in my relationship with you, not only as a friend, but someone who was my, my partner on air. Yeah. That, um, you know what yeah, it is more we than anything, it. you know what it was more than anything? Shame. It was shame. Oh, really? That's why I didn't talk about it at that point in my life. Hmm. Uh, cause, uh, you know, I was raised of a generation where you didn't talk about stuff like that. So, uh, that's why I didn't share it with, that's why I didn't share it with anybody while I was, you know, on the, on the phone every day to a uh, shrink back in Los Angeles. And by the way, now I've got a shrink and a psychologist. I've got a psychiatrist and a psychologist. That's how many people it takes to keep <laughs> that's me. huge. You have a very big tool. You have not own toolbox. You have luggage. I, I do. Yeah. That's what it takes for me. To put it in the middle of the fairway every day, Sue, <laughs> to tie it into golf, to wrap things up. So, uh, Sue, so you know who makes the show possible every week? Yes, our great friend Jacob. Yes, if you or a loved one is injured in any kind of accident, Jacob wants you to understand this. You got to see a doctor right away. And uh, he knows you're busy. If you're injured in a car or work-related accident, it's not like having a cold and calling the doctor a week later. How quickly you call the doctor after an accident is vital to your case. First of all, for your own health, it's important to see a doctor to get treatment and document your injury. But if you try to set up the doctor appointment yourself, uh, it could take a week or two. That's why you need a doctor and you need an attorney who will hook you up with the doctor within 24 hours. That's what Jacob Emrani can do. He will get you on the path to recovery and make sure you properly document and bolster your case against the insurance company. So if you or somebody you know has been injured in any kind of accident, call Jacob 24 hours a day, 844-24-JACOB. That's 844-24-JACOB, 844-24-JACOB. Or remember the catchy jingle, accident or injury. Call Jacob and Ronnie. Call, Call Jacob. Jacob. All right. We're getting there. We're getting there. I like it. I like it. All right. Good show today. Thanks very much. Don't forget, if you are listening right now, 
Uh, hit the subscribe button. We really appreciate it. iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. We would love for you to rate the show and to review the show as well. Write a few nice words. Um, if you're not going to, by the way, just just don't make any comment at all. <laughs> if you don't have something nice to say, that's what my grandmother would say. Don't leave a comment. That's good words to live by. All right. Uh, hey, Sue, thanks. All right. Thank you. All right. We will see you very soon on the next Culture Pop podcast.